You might say, I don't have resolutions, I don't do resolutions, something. But I know that if I talk to you, you guys have dreams, or you guys have a goal, or you have something. We all have to have that uh, in order to make this year uh, very, very special in our lives. And so, would you break up really quick, groups of two or three, maybe four, if that's okay, and then answer this. What is your New Year's resolution, or share your goals, or your disciplines, or your dreams for 2019? Can we do that right now? Okay. All right, if we can wrap it up a little bit. I know we have a lot of things to share, but uh, if we can wrap it up. All right, if you take your Bibles or your devices, would you turn to Colossians chapter 3? We're going to look at uh, the letter to the Colossians this morning. Uh, Pastor Wilson has been doing just a great job with this, uh, getting us back to what's important, getting us back to uh, the basics and uh, really focusing our attention this new year on really what the Christian life is all about. And so loving God, uh, loving others. And so I want to continue with that same vein as we look at Colossians chapter 3. So the title of my message this morning is New Clothes for the New Year. Okay, New Clothes for the New Year. In Colossians chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse 5. Oh, you already did that for me. Okay beginning in verse 5. And let's look at God's word. It says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of its creator. Verse 11, here there are no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, uh, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Verse 14, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know, I have the privilege of doing premarital counseling uh, for a friend of mine. And uh, he's a young adult professional, and uh, we've known each other. We've done ministry with, with each other for a long time. And after one of the events, uh, we were talking about um, how, the, how he was going to be married in a few months and how exciting it was going to be. And so he started sharing some of his dreams and desires. And then he asked me, he said, what is it like to be married? And so I had a chance to kind of share with him uh, my experiences and what it's like to have kids. And it was a really good time. But then he said, what is something that I should prepare for? As someone entering into marriage, uh, what is something that I'm going to have to be ready for? And I said, ooh, okay. And I wasn't, I was thinking off the top of my head, but at the same time, you know, and this wasn't a counseling session, like a premarital session. We were just talking as guys. But I said to him off the top of my head, in marriage... Things are going to change. Can I get an amen from the married people? Yeah? <laughs> Things are going to change, right? Uh, you've lived as a s single guy for 25 plus years, 
and you've picked up some habits along the way. You've been able to do things your way. You've been able to make uh, decisions entirely your way. But when you get married, things are definitely going to change. You have to be ready for those changes and those compromises that you're going to inevitably make because you're not going to be allowed to live the same kind of lifestyle that you've been living all the way up until now. And then I shared with him a story. When I got married, it was the happiest day of my life. My wife is sitting over there. And so I want to say this. Yes. Oh, you can clap. That's great. Thank you. It was the happiest day of my life. But I was really a poor guy, right? A poor pastor. And so I didn't bring a lot of things with me into our marriage. I think I brought a TV set, uh, maybe a VCR, DVD uh, combo player. And I brought the clothes on my back and some other clothes, right? And so that's all I brought. But one of my most valued items was a t-shirt, a 1989 University of Michigan championship t-shirt. It was when Michigan won the NCAA championship against Seton Hall. I know you guys don't know anything about this, but that was my favorite shirt in all the world. Okay? Now, I got this shirt in 1989. My wife knows this, okay? And we got married in 1995. So I've had that shirt for a while, and I wore it all the time. I wore it every day. I wore it faithfully because it was my favorite shirt. It felt so good on my body, right? It was one of those, like, angels must have made this shirt. It just, it just felt better than any other shirt I had. And so at one time, this shirt was white, but now this shirt was gray, okay? <laughs> And the material, and I don't know the technical term for this, but the material had frayed so much that if you looked in certain angles, you could see, like, my belly button. You could see my skin, my nipples. You could see that kind of stuff, okay? And there was holes in that shirt, okay? And so Joanne remembers that was my favorite shirt, and I would wear it to date nights, okay? When we would go to Cheesecake Factory, I would wear that shirt. When we would stroll down Fashion Island, everybody dressed really nice, I wore that shirt. It was my favorite shirt in all the world. It was so much my favorite shirt that I had a special designation, my top drawer. I put it in there, okay? And every time I washed it, I always put it in there, right? And it was my favorite shirt in all the world. Well, a few, uh, actually several months, almost a year into our marriage, I remember I was looking for that shirt, okay? And a mysterious thing happened. I couldn't find it. You know, I looked in the hamper. It wasn't there. I looked, you know, in my favorite spot. Wilson probably knows what I'm talking about. It wasn't there, okay? And so I went over to my wife, and I said, Honey, you know my favorite shirt, that University of Michigan shirt that I always wear? Do you know where it is? And she looked straight at me, and she walked away, okay? And I thought, what's going on? I knew there was something. Like, you know, spider sense was tingling. So I went over, and I said, Honey, what happened to my shirt? And she, you know, she kind of got nervous and everything. It turns out... She threw away that shirt. In her estimation, my new bride thought it was so dirty and so dingy that she just threw it away. She trashed it without telling me. And, you know, later as we were talking, okay, she actually confessed this. She said, you know, honey, you are my husband now. We are married now. And when you wear that shirt, I'm embarrassed to be around you, okay? When you wear that shirt, it reflects poorly on me because it looks like I don't take care of you, right? So, honey, please, she used the Korean word, jebat, please throw away all those kinds of clothes. And it's funny, okay? But now, even the other day, she kind of pointed to a couple of shirts and she said, you know, I'm not going to throw it away. She goes, yeah. So I threw it away myself. I'm learning, okay? As a man changes in marriage. Women change in marriage. In marriage, 
things are going to change. So in a sense, this is what Paul is reminding us here. In this passage, Paul is saying, you, beloved, are spiritually married. You are in a committed covenant relationship to Jesus. You have a brand new name. You carry on a name now. You have a new identity in Jesus Christ. And so because of that, you need to discard the sinful patterns of the old life. You need to throw away those things that reflect poorly on your spiritual spouse. And so Renew Church, I love what we did this morning as we came back in to really focus on moving forward this new year, worshiping God, loving Him. But Renew Church, we're moving forward into a new year. And our New Year's resolution as a church must be about getting back to the basics, about growing deeper in our discipleship uh, to Jesus Christ. And so in order to do this, I dare say there needs to be some changes. There needs to be a change in many of our lives, that we discard the old patterns, that we start embracing the new patterns. And so there are three truths or three points that we want to look at for the new year. And if I can uh, show you those three points, number one, if you're taking notes, our new position in Jesus Christ, okay? Let's look in verse nine. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Hey, what is the old self? It's who you were before you met Jesus. In theological terms, it is the unregenerate self. It is that self that because of the fall of Adam, you remember, right? In reading your Bibles that Adam, when he sinned, the whole world fell into sin. And we in Adam all fell and inherited a fallen sinful nature. So the old nature, the old self is really fallen man. It's who we are before we met Christ in our fallen state. If I can look at it positionally, and I've said this uh, before, and I've used this illustration, but it helps us. In our unregenerate self, positionally, we stand as a guilty criminal, accused and found guilty of sin. We are a slave in the slave market of sin, helpless and in bondage to sin. Positionally, we stand as an enemy in rebellion, subverting God's holiness and God's righteousness. We stand positionally as an outcast stranger without any hope, without really any home. This is the picture of the unregenerate self. But the Bible says that we've been saved, that we've been healed, that we've been changed and redeemed, that we've taken off the old self. This is not who we are anymore. You know, there is a a picture in the Bible that illustrates Colossians 3 perfectly. It's found in Mark chapter 10. You don't have to turn there, but just listen. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 50. It's the story of Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. You guys know this story, right? You've read your Bibles. He is a beggar on the Jericho Road. And when Jesus was traveling down that road, his desire more than anything was to be healed of his blindness and infirmity. And so because he was blind, because he was helpless, all he could do was cry out when Jesus was walking and the many throngs were following to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The term son of David means Messiah. So you're saying, Jesus, anointed one, you who were uh, prophesied to come, listen, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard his cries for help, he called his disciples to go and get Bartimaeus. And I love what it says in verse 50. When Jesus called for Bartimaeus to be brought to him, verse 50, throwing his cloak aside. This is what Bartimaeus did. He jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. 
Isn't that a perfect picture of Colossians 3.9? He cast his cloak aside. Let me share with you, beggars don't throw away their cloaks. It is valuable. It's necessary. It's a piece of clothing that uh, when it gets cold, he had to wear. The homeless, they hoard, don't they? Because they don't know if they're going to have a blanket or a coat. So beggars, they don't throw away their cloak. But here, he casts it aside. Why? He knows he's not going to get it back. He's blind. He knows he's not going to be able to find it, right? Why does he do this? Because Bartimaeus understood this. He knew that Jesus was going to heal him 100%, not a doubt in his mind. But because of this healing, he thought to himself, once I'm healed, I won't need this beggar's cloak anymore. Amen? I'm not going to need it. I can throw away my old clothes. I can throw away that old life, and I don't want it because it doesn't match my identity. It doesn't match my healing. It doesn't match who I am now. And so it's true that when Jesus heals us, and he changes us. He expects us to throw away those old beggar's rags of our old self with its practices. Philippians 3, 5 and 8, the list is sexual immorality, evil desires, greed, idolatry, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Those are beggar's rags that don't match who we are anymore. And in verse 9, it says, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, verse 10 and have put on the new self, which is being redeemed. Hey, what is the new self? It's who you are now after you met Christ, after salvation. You are now in Jesus, no longer unregenerate and fallen. You are now a new creation in Jesus Christ. So theologically speaking, Jesus, the second Adam, that's what we call him, did, not, did what the first Adam failed to do. Jesus obeyed the Father perfectly and took that perfect righteousness and became a sacrifice for us and for the sins of the world. That's why we're here on Sunday. We're celebrating this. The second Adam has changed the fallenness of our lives into a transformed new life. So that at one time you stood positionally as a guilty criminal, but now because of Jesus, you stand as a forgiven citizen. At one time, you were a slave in bondage, but now, because of Christ, you stand as a free man. At one time, you were an enemy in rebellion, but now, because of Jesus Christ, you're positionally an intimate friend of God. You, at one time, were a stranger without hope, but Christ came, and now you stand as a favorite child as an, and an heir to glory. Can I get an amen? amen? That is who we are in Christ, positionally. But you might say, well, if I'm new, sometimes, why, why sometimes don't I feel new? Why is it that I struggle with sin? And some of you have shared with me the struggles that you have with sin. And let me share this with you. Although you are a new, new and regenerate, you are positionally all of the things that we have shared. There's still a residual remnant of sin that resides in you. And it desires the old nature and the sins, and the old practices, and the old habits. And we call this the flesh. So that's a reality, that positionally we are new, but there is still a remnant of sin that fights with us, the flesh. And so while we are here in this earth, our practice, 
will be to fight against the flesh in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power that Christ has given us. We still daily fight. That's why in Colossians 3.5 it says, put to death. The idea is daily, put to death whatever belongs to that earthly nature, all the habits and sins and all those things. It's a fight. I love what it says in Ephesians 4.22. It says, put off your old self, which is corrupted or decaying. Now, this is a vivid picture. It has the idea of Roman punishment. In the ancient world, punishment for crimes was very severe and inhumane. And the Romans were the experts. They were creative and innovative when it came to cruel and inhuman punishment. And one punishment is very interesting for murderers was for the murderer to wear a dead body, to chain a dead, decaying corpse to a person. So imagine a healthy body wearing a corrupt carcass around. Uh, In time, it would affect and infect that person. What a terrible way to live and what a terrible way to die because that person is healthy one minute, but that carcass going into them uh, makes them unhealthy and, and toxic. Paul is painting this vivid picture that instead of wearing the beautiful clothes of the new life that totally fits who you are as a Christian, our flesh runs to the cemetery and digs up that dead, decaying corpse of the old self, and it encourages us to say, put it on. Put it. It looks good on you. You look amazing in it. And as Christians, what happens? As Christians, we're tempted to wear it, right? We're tempted to put on that harmful, toxic uh, 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 body, that carcass, that we should not, or we should be uh, going far away from. Paul reminds us to put it to death, to cast it off, to put it aside, to throw it away. It doesn't match our position in Jesus Christ. You see, our new position in Jesus Christ leads to our new progression in Jesus Christ. Let's look in verse 10. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of in knowledge and the image of its creator. You see, there's a progression in our new life. As we daily conquer the flesh, as we daily discipline our bodies, as we daily communicate with God in prayer and in study of his word, as we daily obey the Holy Spirit's prompting and leading in our lives, we gradually grow to the new self. So that once we become Christians, we don't automatically become perfect, do we? We know this, right? That once we become a Christian, we don't become automatically mature and righteous in everything. There is gradual growth that occurs. You see, God's plan is to make you into the likeness, verse 10, of your creator. In this context, right, in, in, in Colossians, uh, Paul is speaking of the supremacy and preeminence of Christ, Christ being our creator. So it's very clear that he's talking about in the image of our creator, Jesus Christ. So gradually, we're to grow to be more and more like Jesus Christ every day. Romans 8, 29, those that God already chose, he also set apart to become like his son, Jesus Christ. You know, this past weekend, uh, Alexis went to her eighth grade dance, but it was really, really special because they announced her as homecoming queen. And I thought it was really neat. And that's a picture of her dancing with some guy, some dude. I'm not happy with that, right? But dancing with the king, right? And we congratulated her. And I was so blessed in my heart because remember I told you in a previous sermon, 
<clears throat> I was praying, and God made her the king of the nerds, okay? Because she became uh, the president of the Nat Jun National Junior Honor Society, right? But now she's the queen of the school, right? Because, you know, she, she, she uh, became homecoming queen. And so we were looking at some of the pictures, and let, let me show you another picture, okay? That's Alexis in the middle. And so we were looking at some of the pictures, and I was really, really proud of her. And so I commented, I said, you know, you look a lot like me right? You look a lot like me. You, you, uh, you st you're starting to resemble me, right? And I didn't mean because I want to be homecoming queen or anything like that, but I'm just saying she kind of looked like me, right? Ooh. Oh, well, okay. All right. So she kind of looked like me. And right away, and uh, Joanna will attest to this, she said, Dad, I don't look like you at all. I look like Mom, okay? And I felt kind of hurt, okay? And so uh, being anal like that, I showed her pictures. I said, this is what I look like in junior high. This is what you look like in junior high. I was showing her stuff. And I could not convince her. She's so stubborn like her mother, okay? I couldn't convince her. And so she was saying all these things. I look like my mom. And I remember looking at her and I said, who gave you those long legs? You're welcome, right? I'm the one, right? You get some of those character. My, my wife has nice legs. But, but I have the long legs, and she got them from me, right? And so I'm saying all these things, right? And it's natural for Alexis to resemble her father. It's natural for Alexis Jung to resemble David Jung, right? And I see it all the time. I see some of her mannerisms, her stooped shoulders. I see her quirks. I see even her looks. Her nose is mine. She says no, but her nose is mine, right? And so I know this, but I remember when she was first born, and I kind of ruined it. Oh, wait. Okay, I remember when she was first born, right? And newborns are weird looking, right? When they first come out, they're purple. She's purple. Hairy, right? Their, their eyes are shut like a boxer, you know, after, after they've gone a few rounds, right? They look puffy. And she didn't look like me or my wife when she was first born. But you know what? In the beginning, she's still forming, isn't she, right? And as time goes by, as she grows and matures, she gradually resembles Joanne and I. That's what the Bible's saying. It's saying we're not going to reach full maturity here on this earth. We're not going to be perfect until we're glorified when we get to heaven. But we should be looking more and more like our creator, Jesus Christ. You see, in our new birth, there, you know, every day we should resemble Jesus. If we're born into Jesus' family, doesn't it make sense that we're going to look more and more like him? So the question I have for you is, do you look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday? Hey, are you continually growing spiritually? If not, what is retarding that growth? You see, the definition of carnality or backsliding is that you stop in some way of looking more and more like Jesus. In 2019, our resolution should be to look honestly into our lives, to search our lives, to allow God to, 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 to reveal things to what is impeding our progress as a Christian. And as God does that in our lives, would we be courageous enough to repent of those things that are keeping us from growing and maturing to be like Jesus? You see, there's a new position in Jesus Christ. There's a new progression in Jesus Christ, which leads to number three, our new practice in Jesus Christ. Let's look in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people... Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. The Apostle Paul is stating that since we are God's people, our clothes should match who we are. Right In a month, we'll see the stars go to the Oscar ceremonies. 
And there's a subcategory. I don't know if you knew this. It shows on the e-network and on some of those fashion networks. The subcategories, who's wearing what, right? And the Oscar nominees, the A-list stars are going to wear different designers by Vera Wang or Donatella Versace. They're going to wear jewelry from Tiffany's. I'm sure there's more you know, uh, relevant ones, but that, that's what I know, right? And so that's what they're going to concern themselves with. And the actors will be wearing things that will complement who they are, right? Well, what are the right clothes that match who we are, our identity? What do we wear to show our position in Jesus Christ? What clothing identifies our new progression in looking more and more like Jesus? Well, the Bible says as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself, and I want you to see this couplet here. Look in the scriptures. With the coat of compassion kindness. With the coat, and it's a couplet of compassion kindness, okay? Compassion. If you can imagine, one sleeve is compassion. It's literally translated bowels of mercy. Now, that's weird, isn't it? Bowels? What does that have to do with compassion? Well, in the ancient world, emotions, strong emotions, were said to have come from the digestive organs, right? Today, we say, you know, I love you with all my heart, right? But back then, deep inner feelings were thought to come from the bowels. This is a shout-out to Dr. Ken. He's our GI doctor. All right. All right. You're with me, okay? And that's how they would do it. So this Valentine's Day, you should express your feelings like they did in the first century, Dr. Ken, right? Instead of telling Chrissy, I love you with all my heart, you'd say, I love you with all my guts, right? Isn't that beautiful? I love you with all my guts, right? I love you from the bottom of my stomach, okay? I desire you with both large and small intestines, right? Sounds good, but that's kind of the idea. And you might say, well, that's so strange, but even we in our 21st century have a, a perspective like this. When we get angry, what do we say? I hate his guts, right? When we're nervous, I say, I have butterflies in my stomach. There's something in my stomach, right? right? When we're convicted, we say, I have a gut feeling about this. When we're disgusted, we say, I have a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. You see, even we use the idea of feelings in regards to that. And so the Christian, the Bible says, should be characterized by a deep level of mercy for others, bowels of mercy. The idea is strong sympathy, extreme empathy, that we as Christians should be the first ones to care about the pain and the injustice and the, 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 uh, the, the pain that is going on around us. You see, one sleeve is compassion. The other sleeve is kindness. The word means active goodness. In our contemporary culture, we identify kindness by someone's demeanor or disposition. So if someone has an affable attitude or someone has a sweet persona, then we say that that person is kind. But the Bible doesn't identify things that way. It identifies kindness by action. Are you actively seeking the welfare of others? Are you uh, initiating relationships to meet needs? One of my favorite stories in all of antiquity is the story that was, uh, that was uh, this was a true story during the reign of Caesar Augustus. A man by the name of Androcles was a slave condemned to death in the arena. He had run away from his abusive master in Africa and he was captured and he was sentenced to be tore apart by beasts. So as he awaited his fate in the arena, a lion came out. But it approached the man, surprisingly, it approached him slowly and quietly. And as he came to the man, he started to wag its tail and lick the man's hand like a pet dog would do. 
Now, this shocked the crowd. They'd never seen anything like this. Amazed by this, Caesar called him over and asked him about this extraordinary spectacle. And Androcles explained, and listen to this, it's a true story. He explained that when he was running for, uh, for freedom, he sought shelter in a cave. And he met this very same lion who was hurt and in pain. So instead of running away, you know what Androcles did? He nursed the lion's wounds and he nursed them back to health. Androcles had no idea that he would meet the same lion in the arena. Caesar was so inspired by this testimony that a man would tend to a savage lion, getting past the fear of claws and fangs, that Caesar Augustus exclaimed, this courageous kindness did not come from man, but from deity. And so both Androcles and the lion were pardoned from the arena. Isn't that great? A contemporary historian, Gellius, wrote this. Afterwards, we would see Androcles with the lion attached to a slender leash walking around the shops throughout the city. And everyone exclaimed, this is the lion that became man's friend, and this is the courageous man who became physician to a lion. I love that story. It is the picture of kindness, the courage to get past the claws and fangs of sinful, flawed, hurting people so that we can actively be a physician in meeting their needs. Isn't that beautiful? Historians and sociologists tell us that the greatest reason that Christianity turned the world upside down and became the most influential uh, force in uh, the ancient world was that Christians were characterized by two things, compassion and kindness. When diseased were cast out of the city to die, Christians went and organized colonies to help them, even contracting the same disease. When unwanted children were thrown aside to die, Christians would gather them up, gather them up and start orphanages. You see, Christians were actively uh, wearing the coat of compassion, kindness. The Bible says, clothe yourself with the shirt of humility, gentleness. Those are the couplets that we see. The shirt, one sleeve, is humility. There was really no word in classical Greek for humility. It was so foreign in the first century world. Why? Because the ancient world valued self-esteem and self-sufficiency and self-centeredness and self-focus. You know, those ideas of self were highly prized because that's how you survived. That's how you succeeded. But I want you to notice that those are all characteristics of the old self. Do you notice that? All the sins listed in Colossians 3, anger, rage, malice, slander, sexual sin, greed, and the like, are all rooted in self. It's an inward focus, right? It's consuming your own needs. And notice the characteristics of the old self are selfish. But the characteristics we see of the new self is not about self at all. There's humility. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The other sleeve is gentleness. And it's just what we've uh, come to know. It's this soft, sweet attitude toward others. It's being courteous and mannerly and respectful and appropriate. It's willing to sacrifice for the benefits of others in a sweet, kind way. I love that. Clothe yourself. And here's the last one. With the pants of patience. The pants of patience. I actually love the Old Testament or the Old King James Version word long suffering because that's really what this is talking about. It has the idea of a punching bag. You know, I love martial arts. You know, I, I did martial arts a lot 
uh, when I was growing up. And uh, I remember we bought a big Everlast heavy bag at home. And I would put it up in my garage, right? And I would punch and I would kick and I would knee and I would attack that thing. You know, and I would do it with all my, you know, all my might, intending to destroy that thing. But you know what? It always was able to absorb the blows. It was always able to take the hits. Here's the idea of long-suffering. Are you able to absorb the blows of others? Can you suffer long the flaws and the irritations and the sin of other people? You know, the description here is patience in bearing with one another. Look, the pants of patience means uh, if we look at one part of the leg, is verse 13, bearing with one another. The idea is to hold up, a willingness to voluntarily help others, even when it means enduring inconvenience and even hardship. Are we ready to bear with one another? It's also patience in forgiving one another. Verse 13, that we pardon the wrongs that have been done to us, being able to let go of the past offenses that have been perpetrated against us, not retaliating evil against you, revenge, but repaying that evil with good. You see, there's an active sense of forgiveness. Who does that sound like, you guys? Who does it? That sounds like Jesus. That's the right word to use at church, right? Jesus. Jesus was the greatest man who ever lived, and he was characteristically long-suffering. There was a virtue. That, this was not a virtue in the ancient world. Aristotle defined a great man, in his refusal to tolerate insult, in his refusal to tolerate any injury, and ready to strike back at any hurt that was given. What was Aristotle saying? I'm not a punching bag. You don't mess with me. But here we see the difference between the old self and the new self. You see, the clothes of a Christian, the attractiveness of a Christian, is that they're willing to wear the pants of patience. Verse 14, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I love what Paul does here. Paul is saying that the fabric of all of these virtues of the new self is love. That he's really saying love is the characteristic of all of these things that we had just said. All these are united in love. And so I want to close, actually, uh, by giving you something practical. You might say, well, that sounds good, but that, that's a little bit kind of heady, right? That's a little bit kind of theoretical for me. How do we show the fabric of love practically? Well, let me close, uh, and I'm going a little bit longer. Sorry about that. But in Luke chapter 10, would you look at it right now? Luke chapter 10. Oh, you don't have to. Uh, just, just listen to what I have to say. An expert in the law asked, how do I love, Right? How do I show love to my neighbor? And Jesus gives this parable. In verse 30, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. We know the story, right? Jesus gives this story. And can I just share with you, I don't want to go too allegorical, but it really helps us to understand this is how the world treats people. This is the fallen world. That it promises all kinds of things, but it cannot deliver. As a matter of fact, everyone who hopes in the world and trusts in the world, what happens is they end up being hurt, beat up, right, destroyed. That's what we get from loving the world. And so we see that that's what happens. And in verse 31, let me continue reading. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. So... Here in this story, Jesus, in context, is saying this is a Jewish man. 
And there are two men from his community, right? Leaders that came and they passed him by. They didn't care about him. They didn't love him. But, and I want you to get this, and here are the characteristics that we see in Colossians chapter 3. But a Samaritan. We see here forgiveness is found in this word, but a Samaritan. Why? Because they were the most despised group to the Jews, right? The Jews actually had a nickname for them. They called them dogs, okay? Not dog, my dog, but just dogs. You're disgusting, mangy, mongrel. Dog. I know, I'm, I'm not cool, okay? But, but that, that's what we're saying, right? They called them dogs in regular conversation. They weren't even seen as human beings, right? As a matter of fact, uh, history records many times where the Jews would make excursions into Samaria to actually pick out people and beat them and leave them half dead. So when Jesus is sharing this story, think of this. But a Samaritan, Samaritans have witnessed injustice. They've witnessed the barbarity from the Jews. And yet this Samaritan knows this man's a Jew, but he helps him. Isn't that a picture of forgiveness, you guys? To help someone who has hurt you or, or people group that has hurt you. Let's look in verse 33. And when he saw the man, he took pity on him. That's the word for compassion. Heartfelt mercy and sympathy, right? And look, in verse 34, he went to him. That shows humility, to stoop down to help an enemy, okay? Or someone who's not for you. That's humility. And bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. That's the picture of kindness, right? Active goodness uh, on behalf of someone. Uh, let's continue reading. And he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn to take care of him. Here we see the idea with bearing with one another, volunteering to hold up someone in spite of inconvenience and hardship, right? And here he took him to the inn. That's the idea of gentleness, this uh, sweetness in, in helping this person. And uh, verse 35, the next day, uh, this Samaritan took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense that you may have. This is that fabric of love, right? To go the extra mile for someone, you know, that, that you don't know, uh, for some people group that has hurt you in the past. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. If we ask, right, what is love? If we ask, how do we show that kind of love. Think of the Good Samaritan, because Jesus uses that and says, this is what wearing the clothes of the Christian looks like. Can I get an amen? amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. But I want to ask you this morning, in the quietness of your own heart, I want to ask you, are there changes that need to be made? As you've heard the messages for the past three, four weeks in getting back to basics, are there changes that need to be made in our lives? In order to have a successful, victorious Christian life spiritually, are there things that we need to resolve even today? Father, I pray that you would speak to us afresh and anew, that your Holy Spirit would convict exhort, instruct, and encourage. And the Lord, as we make those resolutions, that we wouldn't be the same people that we were in 2018. That in 2019, we would look a little bit more like Jesus Christ. And all God's people said,